1: Welcome to episode 391 of the Barcelona podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Danny Hilton and he's Levon aka Barslev, And today we're talking Barcelona by Munich in totality and I have been reading your tweets. I I know that you fortunately were did were did not I to my understanding did not watch my five headlines which is great because we're not going to overlap too much. That said, I feel like we're going to agree a lot more than we have in past shows to the point that we're even wearing very similar, the Barcelona podcast merchandise shirts today. So I think <laughs> there at least will be a little bit of unity as we go through this, this game. Yeah, the Barcelona Bayern Munich game. And I think where we need to start, Levan, is with the big picture, right? The intangible feelings before we get into the tactics. Sergio Busquets, Pedri, Lewandowski, what Bayern did right, what Barcelona did right or did wrong. So I think there is fair criticism in the optimism that this is progress. This result, not the result, not the 2 nothing, but this game itself in totality, that that means progress and that will lead to better results. But the counter to that is that Barcelona has yet to still get over the hump of a big European night. And it's been half a decade since Barcelona have really truly felt like they got over a big European night. You And so as I said, things can be two things. This coping with the match result through positivity or feeling demoralized about another European failure is certainly a spectrum and knowing you, like I assume that you don't fall necessarily exactly on that spectrum. So more plainly, what do you say to those who are criticizing others for either being too positive or too negative after this match and where do you stand on, on that I guess we'll say the, the spectrum of positivity and negativity?
2: Well, one match is just a match. so uh, It's very difficult to draw conclusions. Bayern is a very tough opponent. Anytime we can either beat Bayern or lose from Bayern uh, and this is when we have a good team, um, you know, we, we won Champions Leagues twice in which during the campaign we faced Bayern and uh, the, the last time Bayern outplayed us for most of the match. Uh, and that was with, uh, with the Neymar, uh, Luis Suarez, Lionel Messi, Trident up front. And even the previous time when we beat them 4-0 at home in uh, our first travel, away. We played 1-1. So it's always difficult to play against Bayern. Uh, we could have won this match, which is great. Of course, what is not great is that we did not win it after signing Lewandowski, Kunde, uh, and Rafinha plus Christensen and Cassie. So I think it's right for people's expectations to be very high. I think it is okay to to be critical if we play poorly. Um, however you should always watch uh, always uh, judge what happens on the pitch more than what happens on the scoreboard because if not then maybe you should stop watching football and just check the scores in the next morning
1: one of the signings you did miss was Alonso so I do want to start there with that lineup that Xavi had picked before the game you (laughs) and I had the exact same one we had Dembele, Lewandowski, Rafinha up top we were right on that we had Pedri, we had Gabi we had Busquets in midfield right on that But then that back line is where things really went haywire. You and I both agree that it probably should be Balde, Garcia, Araujo, and Kunde. That so far has been the best back line that Xavi has put out there this this season. And Tercegan, of course, in net. But Xavi kind of switches things up. Goes with Marcos Alonso. Goes with Andres Christensen. And when asked about it even pregame, Xavi said that he went with Christensen over Garcia because of height. And not, I mean, if Xavi said it, I should believe him. You know, my thinking is also that having seen Garcia two matches ago now go down, not even down, but leave the game prematurely for a knock, they said it was precautionary, but I'm also of the belief that maybe he's not 100%, and obviously, why would you admit that, or why would you say anything about that? That said, though, Christensen, it could have been just down as simple. I mean, the guys played in big matches, and you need all your center backs to be able to contribute over the course of a season, and why would Christensen not be able to contribute at a high level, especially if you're gonna bring him in and pay him wages and and, and have him as a part of your team? So, as far as Alonzo and Christensen, I think people are directly looking at the goals And, you know, you and I can break down the second one in a second. I think you had a really good actual, like almost frame by frame breakdown of it. But for the first goal, you know, I can't really get beyond the fact that Lucas Hernandez got loose of Marcus Alonso, rose up, headed in the goal, Bayern up 1-0. It had to do a lot with Bayern also having a bit of intensity coming out in the second half. The Goretzka switch was also different or actually an impactful and important positive move for Nagelsmann so we can talk about how all that kind of leads to the set piece goal but still in a vacuum it's one moment a set piece get the you the corner happens because of a Dembele giveaway and then again Alonso loses his man that said I mean you think that Balde and Alba really would have made that the same mistake but they wouldn't have because the matchups would have been different and again then you're just playing what if over the course of 90 minutes and I think that's impossible to do so yeah I mean this is Alonso's first start for Barcelona how did you grade it I, I didn't see your grades did you come out with that Oh, I didn't send out the grades yet, uh, so I should do this. Well, breaking um, do, do, do 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 break breaking I'll, news. Give us all your Marcos Alonso and explain why.
2: <laughs> I'll do it on midnight. We can do it at the end of the show. I'll grab my uh, my cell phone and uh, I'll give people the grades, or you can do it now as, as you want. But let's let's start with the goal uh, because that first goal, I uh, any Aine of anys, Alonso is better in the air than uh, Balde and Jordi Alba. Yeah. Like, you know, if I send a cross into the box to uh, three players, those three players being Alonso, uh, Alba, and Balde, then I put my money on Alonzo being the
1: one to claim it. Um, I mean, he's almost a full head... He's, like, a, almost a full head-length taller as well. I mean, that's a really mm-hmm. important part of that.
2: Yeah. And it's it, um, for headers, it's not just whether you're tall or not. Um, here, physicality also matters. Mm-hmm. So, um, then... For, for a header, uh, you're just going to be get pushed away. It helps be strong to have like somebody on you. Because Busquets is tall, but he's not really um, that great on corners. What I thought was worse than uh, Alonso losing his man was Testegen not being there. Because that corner came way too close to the goal for somebody to, to head it in without the goalkeeper coming out to punch it. Like he he was right there, he he, he was right there, um, you know. Uh, so it was not just Alonso's uh, mistake, Test and who really should know better, but he's has never been very strong at this anyway, right? It's always been, um, one of his weakest parts as a goalkeeper, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a pity because the had a very good match until the goal. Uh, he was great with the ball at his feet. His passing was, uh, was quite well, uh, especially because it was difficult for him to pass the ball because Bayern was very intense, defensively, but yeah. That's that's the first goal in a first goal in a nutshell. Um, I've got the ratings here, so these ratings are something that my myself, Neil Gardner, uh, Kai, whose Twitter LDAP is uh, J the Position, like positional play, and Doma, who everybody also knows from Barca Twitter, and Captain Garden, Guardiola. Uh, this time Doma could not uh, could not join us. He he missed the match, so he couldn't rate it. But every every match. All of us rate the players that played. Minus the the ones who were subbed in the last ten minutes or so. But uh, so we were talking about Marcos Alonso and we actually rated him six point six. I rewatched the match this morning in order to I was bored, I guess. So I rewatched the match this morning. And I actually thought Alonso was quite well. Quite well. And it is very interesting that we signed him because it does not seem that Xavi is going to give up on, on Balde. But everything points towards uh, Barcelona uh, pushing out Jordi Alba either this winter or next summer.
1: Oh, I think it comes out next summer. Looking at his salary as well as the fact yeah. that Marcus Alonso is on a one-year deal. I mean, that tells you exactly where, what, 40 or 50 million euros are going to go next summer. It's going to go to the left, the left back spot. And whether Balde there or not, I mean, I think they're going to just figure something out. It's going to be a two-person platoon. And you look at all those other we'll say elite clubs who are able to spend all of those positions like left back. I mean, even for, I mean, look at, look at Man City, right? I mean, that's ideally, I mean, money wise, them and PSG almost don't count, but so many other clubs, right? They're like, their fullback spots are one a and kind of one B, but really, you know, two a or whatever it may be like one B and two a, if it's not perfect, what have you. But I agree with you on the, on on Marcus Alonso. I think between he and Christensen, they know each other from their Chelsea days. I think that was helpful with Christensen on the, as a left full, uh, center back and Alonso as also. the left back. But I, I think the, the way that I've seen Dembélé work with different right backs that Barcelona have had over the years, whether it's Semedo or Des when he was back there, or even Sergio Roberto, I, that partnership doesn't really ever seem to work well, Dembélé and Roberto. So to see Dembélé, especially when he started on the left with Alonso, it could have been a lot worse. And I think that's kind of how I felt going away from Marcus Alonso's performance. Like if his first start for a new club and he's obviously a high-level player, plays with the Spanish national team, played with Chelsea, played, you know, multiple locations and played at a high level, sure. So you'd expect that he's going to at least give you something. But as I said, I think I come out of it, both he and Christensen going, yeah, that really could have been a lot, lot worse. I mean, they were part of Barcelona, especially on the press, where you have to know people, you have to under, have an understanding of your teammates and understanding of positioning. So in Chelsea's system, I mean, just of what I understood from them last season, I mean, generally playing in a double pivot when they were looking to press, they also weren't pressing as high as Barcelona were. So in that first half, when it's almost counterintuitive here, but as Barcelona were better at, we'll say, gegen-pressing or, or pressing, and Bayern were, not in the first half per se, but over the course of 90 minutes, the better team at building up and, and <laughs> eventually breaking through that pressure, right? It's counterintuitive because that's the thing that Barcelona is supposed to be better at. That's the thing that Bayern Munich is supposed to be better at. But again, to be one of the best teams in world football now, you've got to be able to do all of it at a high level. And the teams that do all those things at the highest level can do it. And so for Alonso to understand the positioning of Busquets being, and I'm kind of transitioning you here into talking about the second goal here, but when Busquets was defending and pressing in the way that he was so far up the pitch, is for Alonso to understand the nuance of kind of when he had to peel in a little bit, when he had to continue to be aware of Pavard, and then, well, that was at the first 10 minutes, Pavard didn't do anything, got hurt. But then to understand when he needed to make sure he stayed at home on Mizrahi, and there were a few times when Mizrahi got the best of him, but really the only time that I thought Alonso struggled was when Musiala would drift out to the right wing, would start his move in the middle, and then he and Christensen or Araujo, they wouldn't switch off quick enough. That communication just wasn't exactly there, so Alonso would be kind of a step slow to Musiala, and fortunately for him, I mean, that doesn't really lead to anything, that being uh, Alonso getting out to, or getting, we'll say, undone, because in the same way, Dembele undid Masraoui a ton of times too. And it didn't necessarily lead to anything as we know Barcelona's way, but it did because they had seven key chances that could have led to a goal. But yeah, let's go over that second Bayern goal first. People really, I mean, again, this is your point here. They were really going in on Busquets there, but looking at where he was on the field and how that press is situated, it's not necessarily him. There's a lot of different names you could throw out there about taking credit or blame for it. That's Koundé, that's Araujo, that's Christensen, maybe Alonso. I, I, I don't think too much on Pedri looking at the fact that he was marking Kimmich at the time and Kimmich was kind of pushing forward. UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold your breath exhilaration is underway with the biggest stars, top teams, and scariest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds, as Benzema and Real Madrid, oh, I know, defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, I'll say it again, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-filled second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live, exclusively on Paramount+. Pretty much anybody except Busquets. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
2: uh, Busquets did not need to take those extra steps forward to, to lightly press there. But but at the same time, just because of the circumstance of that play, he was very high up the pitch and the midfield, the other midfielders were very well aware of it. Uh, Busquets also looked back and checked and gesticulated uh, to make to make sure that they they were aware of it. So even if Busquets had tracked back faster which a lot of people are saying that he should have, he is not the one who would have broken up that play because there were a lot of other people closer to the play. And in, in our pressing system, it just so happens that, yes, sometimes Busquets might press a little bit further forward. Usually it's Pedro Gavi who uh, press further forward, but sometimes it might be Busquets and the rest of the team should be aware. Gavi could have gone back, uh, dropped a little bit deeper to, uh, to pick that up. Both Christensen and Koundé could have positioned themselves a little bit better. Um, Araujo, however, uh, he is the guy who can do no wrong because everybody loves him. He's also, together with Dembele, Araujo is my favorite player. So, you know, I get uh, get told that I have some kind of crazy uh, secret agenda against him uh, when I criticize him. It's... Not the case, he's my favourite player together with Dembélé and also, to be honest, my favourite person together with Dembélé on that team. But Araujo gets caught flat-footed because he follows Muller, who is running offside. And by the time that Araujo realises that, uh, it's too late because he needs to turn around to, um, to catch Sane, who is going full speed towards Ter Stegen with nobody to stop him. So um, on, on that play, there were a lot of little mistakes, and Araujo basically rolling out the red carpet. Now, admittedly, it's a very difficult play. And, and Muller is, is a master mm-hmm. at making the exact movement to, to mess up the defense. So it's, it's, it's not a matter of, hey, it is Araujo's fault. It's just hilarious that everybody is convinced that it's Busquets' fault, where, in fact, nobody recovered more balls than Busquets' yesterday.
1: Yeah, there was a play, I can't remember the first half. I believe he was still in the second half, though, when his legs were starting to go, that being Busquets. You could see that he and Lewandowski, I mean, they were laboring just a bit, but I don't blame him for that at all because, again, if he had proper coverage coming off the bench for some kind of reason to do a semblance of what he could do, then he would have been substituted in that match. But uh, there was a point where Busquets was, as we had said, the highest up there on the press, and yet he still came back to double with Alonso on one of those moves from Musiala I believe True. it was in the second half when Gnabry had come on. Uh, it was um, in the second half. Yeah, yeah but, uh, so it was in the second half. I, I want to put the shoe in the other foot a little bit too because, you know, not to, again, continue to try silver linings, but I, I want to remind people that this match, and this is where I'm overtly positive about what this means for Barcelona moving forward, is that this match was played at such a high level. I mean, you felt like this was a quarterfinal or a semifinal of the Champions League. Like, it wasn't just the atmosphere. It wasn't just the Bavarian fans as a 12th man. It was that when Barcelona and Bayern Munich you know, there are parts of both teams that tell you that they're still trying to figure it out. The pieces are still being put together. And again, I was talking to a Bayern Munich friend of mine, and he was saying that he was not to say pleasantly surprised, but at the level that that match was played at, he was just as nervous in that first half as Aids were. Kules have that extra added thing, like, what if things go wrong? But he had said the attack, as, as scary as Mane, Müller, Gnabry, Sané, and Musiala as a quintet seemed to be. There was that moment when Mane and Muller smacked into each other, and he had said that that was more indicative of kind of what you've been seeing in the Bundesliga for the last few matches, where the attack without Lewandowski is something that they are still trying to figure out. But what Mm -hmm. it can also lead to, and what it may lead to if they do figure it out in the spring, is that on that goal, Musiala, with his positioning... you know, with, with Muller attracting other attention, again, Araujo being stuck between two minds, Musiala kind of starts his move from the wing, comes inside, and then the ball he plays into Sané, he just puts it right in his path. It's a perfect ball for Musiala to set up Sané, who is at a a, a full head of steam. And so when you have players who are that talented and just that gosh darn good, good things are going to happen occasionally, right? And you have to, on the other side, take care of your your moments. So we're going to do that in a second. But before that, I also want to say on the other side with Rafinha, how people were like, oh, where'd he go? He was absent. He wasn't really absent. He had his one chance that kind of went a little bit wide. So he did fluff that one opportunity at another long shot as well. But Alonzo Davies from that game, Alfonso Davies rather from that game, I think people were kind of saying, oh, I-, I didn't realize he was that strong and that fast or whatever. But his tactical positioning is just incredible. Before that match the two areas that we keyed on, as in those who were trying to figure out where, Barcelona's, uh, where Bayern's holes were, was gonna be A, behind Davies, we know that he gets four, therefore you gotta spray those long balls, those di- diagonal balls in behind him, or it's when Byron Bar- uh, are looking to press, that means they're always leaving the other wing. Sometimes it's Davies, sometimes it's the other side. That other wing is always a bit exposed too, because they're bringing that extra man into midfield to help out with the numerical advantage. So they're looking to try to build through the middle, which is what they did for the second goal, but you want to get the long ball over. We saw Lewandowski had a chance to even get that ball off to Rafinha in the first half. It was a 1v1 situation, and he just underhit a little bit. So those opportunities were there for, for Barcelona. That said, with how good Davies is positionally, he limits those opportunities. He limits just, even if you know where the holes are for Bayern Munich, he limits the number of times you can try to exploit those because he's just so smart on the ball. And just technically too, I mean, it's one thing to, with speed and strength, going for a 50-50 ball, but very much, not to compare him in any other way to Busquets, but Busquets and Pedri, when they go in for 50-50, it's something about the, the softness of their touch, whatever it is, this seemed to kind of pop the ball out from the opponent's possession and take possession themselves. And Davies is mm-hmm. that good technically too. Like you can go in 50-50 and it's not his speed and, and his athleticism and his strength that necessarily are winning him those 50-50 balls. It's the fact that he just, just he has such control over the ball that he just pokes it far enough away from Athena where he can get his body positioned around him and now he has possession right back. So Davies was just yeah. fantastic. Oh. And it's okay to like be at the same level as, not even be at the same level, but like, it, it's a credit as well as Bayern Munich just to have really, really high-level players. Like that's where that game was played on that level with an Alfonso Davies, who is one of the best left backs, arguably the left ba- best left back in the world.
2: Yeah, he's he's incredible, and uh, you know, as as usual, people only see uh, see strength and speed because those are the easiest things to things to see. But his decision making on the ball is very smart. Uh, his tactical awareness. Okay, I don't watch as much Bayern as other people, but uh, I can I can imagine that he leaves holes behind against other teams because against other teams, Bayern goes forward with much greater abandon than against Dembele, Dembele, Lewandowski and Rafinha. So it's it's obvious that uh, Bayern also keeps their opponent in mind when, when they set up the team Would be incredible if they didn't, I just think he's a very complete footballer and, and yeah, of course. Um, he is also strong and he is also fast but um, he's good ta- tactically
1: yeah one more thing about Davies though before we go because like I-, I said arguably he's the best slapback in the world and Bayern Munich had a 2 nothing result but if that penalty that was actually a penalty if VAR overturns that and that winds up being a penalty for Barcelona then that narrative changes right like we it, we can't do both like it's hypocritical to say when a Barcelona player makes a mistake against Bayern Munich that it defines who they are like Lewandowski Missed a ton of chances. And, oh, now he's someone who bottles things in Europe. And he saw Bayern Munich fans jumping on him, too. Like, hey, he always did this for Bayern Munich. He bottled the biggest matches, the most important European nights. And that's exactly who he is. And if you're going to characterize a player from one result, again, like, if, if Davies also gave up a penalty, then that's got to count against him. Like, you can be a high-level of course, player and of have something I mean, like that happen. Of course, and it would have counted against him. But
2: uh, the penalty wasn't called. Yeah. Uh, nor, nor, nor do I think that it is such a blatant penalty as uh, everybody in Spain uh, believes that it is. Um, do I think it was a penalty? Yes. Do I think it is the kind of call that needs to be overturned by VAR? No. No, I'm sorry, because I don't, I don't think that VAR should overturn every call when there is contact in the box. I, I think VAR should uh, overturn super blatant fouls. This was more a foul mm. of he, you know, he he came in with with force. He put his he he kind of walked side by side with Dembele in a way that yes that the, the, yeah there was contact. It was a penalty, but it was not it was not the biggest penalty in the world. It's not as if he took a swipe at him. It's not as if uh, he pushed him down with with all his strength either you know I I can't be too upset that it wasn't called uh, that it wasn't called even though I think it should have been called
1: yeah I mean I think the ref probably was arguing or the official that was watching it on VAR was saying that Demolay was starting to come down with a contact from the upper body and that upper body contact was 50 50 and not a foul and so he was already coming down before the I think the foul would have been at the foot right when 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 Davies kind of stepped in front of him without getting the ball, that's the foul to it. So I think the, the referee's but, argument that's might a foul. Been, yeah. I, I
2: also think that if it's outside of the box, it would have been called a lot easier than, than in the box. For sure. I, I also know that every time that Barcelona is in a knockout game, or a, a game against a big opponent, and we have a Dutch referee, that at some point or the other during
1: the match, we get screwed. Because I, this has I, been I, happening for disagree. the last five years you, you, It's UEFA-Lona for a reason. Come on. <laughs> well... Yeah, that's, that's what you hear. But, okay, so I, I didn't want to draw you too much from Upa Makana on the other side. So if you've got a thing on him, because I, I do want to also use that to transition into talking about Lewandowski and his misses. I, mean, I, th- I, think, it was, misses. I think it was all of them. It was, uh, it was Upa, it was Mazraoui, it was Kimmich. Uh,
2: like, there, there were three situations where we were in the box and we could shoot at goal. And they come in with like a last ditch tackle mm-hmm. or last ditch defense to 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 stop us from taking the shot. So, defensively, Bayern was just very, very intense. Uh, we created a lot of opportunities, but it, but it seems that like like you said, we don't we don't create opportunities through build up play anymore. Everything is uh, counter pressing, or or just straight up countering. That that's how we get our opportunities. It was the same against Sevilla.
1: It was the same against some other teams. Well, do you uh, you think which. Well, trying to diagnose that. I I think one of the reasons that that might be happening is because Musiala was playing off of the shoulder of Brusquets and denying. I mean, all smart teams do that. They try to deny anything to Busquets. And so, therefore, you have to have uh, Araujo. I mean, arguably, it's usually Araujo, but you have to have Araujo, or in this case, it was Kunde as well, Christensen, Alonso. You're back four, then, have to have those balls to bypass the Bayern midfield and get all the way to the wings. And then you're building up through 1v1s using the width. I mean, that's how Xavi wants to do it, especially if teams are going to just try to mark Busquets out of the game as they did. And so I I think that's a huge part of it, that I think if teams are going to tactically do that, then you have got to have the skills with your center backs to bypass that and do that. And believe it or not, actually, you know, I know that it was a little bit different, but I actually think Araujo and Koundé and, and the like, I thought, and Christensen, I thought they did pretty well as as far as like bypassing that the, the Bayern midfield and getting it to Dembélé and getting it up to uh, the, the wingers, as well as Shabi, I mean, as well as Gabi, who was kind of pushing up as almost his fourth forward at times. And he was there in the proper positions to try to get the ball back as well, too. So the positioning of Gabi also smart to that. And, and that did create, though, a separation between your back line and your forward line. But I thought, again, ba- I thought ba- Barcelona's ball playing was good enough to deal with that.
2: I, I, I think what happens a lot is that... Um... Our our midfield play, there's just so many um there there's just a lot of space between um between our midfielders. So Gavi is always asked to to attack space or often. Uh sometimes either Gavi or Pedri are out wide quite a lot. It's it, it's a spacing issue because you cannot you cannot really build up play against a settled defense if you have no no strong midfield presence, right? And We don't really have uh, have, uh, fullbacks who tuck into that midfield either. Mm -hmm. So if if, if you would compare this with a team that everybody knew, uh, which is uh, the the Guardiola team, or even the teams that evolved from there, uh, you would have Dani Alves, who is basically an auxiliary midfielder. You would have Busquets, Iniesta, Xavi. Who always played close to uh, near each other, and then and then you had Nas, uh, you had Messi, who constantly dropped back,
1: so you, you, you had a midfield packed with players who, who, who combined very fast. Well, you even look at Bayern Munich setup that four two two two, where Kimmich and whether it's Goretzka or Sabitzer, they were really close to each other, and then that yeah. line in front of them, Mueller and and Musiala were very close to each other, and it was just the two wingers that were wide. Yeah, so
2: it 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 seems that we. We uh, we make a conscious choice to to give this up, and that that might be why uh, we we struggle to to create against against a settled defense. So yeah, it's I mean I, don't get me wrong, I think counter pressing is the greatest thing there is because it's the the quickest route to goal, uh, and if you do this successfully, uh, even against. A strong team like Bayern Munich, you you carve them open a couple of times per per match, just like we we did last night. But it is weird, like like you noted at the beginning of this podcast, to see uh, to see a Barcelona team that
1: does not build up play properly. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, and I think not say the other kind of argument to that is because yes, you get the sense that well, that has Busquets, as we've talked about, has to be a defending on the front foot, but he defends best when he's. When Barcelona have possession and are are constantly creating pressure and and going forward, and that's again why Gavi starting against Bayern Munich. I thought Gabi from sideline to sideline, filling in his positioning along with Pedri and Busquets on that press was uh, just really pristine, especially in that first half. I mm-hmm. mean, Gavi. It's it's again not just him being you know people. Just kind of simplify it to him being this little pit bull and this fight and desire, or whatever. No, it's not that. Like his positioning was just superb last night. Like again, filling in a, on not even a forward, like almost as an attacking midfielder at times, as Barcelona were quote unquote building up at times. Uh, and then the minute that ball was turned over, just being exactly where he needed to pressing hard in the midfield and getting the ball back. And so when you have such a good presser in the case of Gabi, then you're going to continue to try to get the most out of his strengths. And on the other side, for Pedri, Pedri is so press resistant. I mean, he was the best midfielder to me last night. Like, Busquets had a good game. Gabi had his moments. Kimmich and Goretzka also were good for Bayern Munich, right? Again, it's a very high level. So it's possible that even if a team lost to nothing, that a lot of different players played well, right? In one or two moments, two goals in four minutes, that's the difference in a really high level, well played game. Uh, it's just an enjoyable watch if not for those two goals. I mean, Sabitzer was really the only one who was kind of a beat slow or step slow from the other five I thought in that game or however many I counted. And then I, I don't think De Young really, not to say had the opportunity to get involved in that game, But at that point, Bayern kind of had taken control in the way that they did in two goals and it looked like it affected Barcelona away. We'll do that in a second. But just, yeah, I just want to wrap up on Pedri that Pedri was just really, really good again. I mean, and where that again, moving forward, gives me confidence is that I don't think Pedri's press resistant abilities are going to go anywhere. Like there was a moment there in that 38th minute that I logged here where Bayern, it looked like they had completely pinned Barcelona all the way back. And yet, Pedri uses Koundé as this wall pass release valve, and uh-huh. gets out of four red shirts who were coming at him. And then Barcelona are off to the races again. They get it out wide to Dembélé, and I, I believe that ended. If it was either it was one of the Lewandowski chances, or it was the Rafinha one wide that I already brought up. One of those two chances occurred oh. because of how press resistant Pedri is, and and it's just his technical control, his close control, and his understanding of where other teams are going to try to take the ball away. Uh, it's just was just superb last night. And again, yeah, all was things excellent. can be true. You can lose and Pedri can still play great. Yeah. Marcos Alonso was also at the start of
2: um uh two great moves out of pressure, surprisingly. One where he um uh was under quite a lot of pressure and, and, and just lobbed the ball out of pressure but like f- very precisely to, to Dembele. And and another where he uh dribbled out of the edge of the box and uh and launched the counter. The, the other thing that is that is curious here, and this is not just a Bayern match, but going back to how we create chances, uh, either on counters or on um, counter-pressing, we do this even in matches where we have 65% possession. Mm-hmm. And that's what's puzzling me. Because if we have 65% mm-hmm. possession, we should also be be able to create chances out of longer possessions. Um,
1: but I haven't figured it out yet, and yeah. we have a
2: whole season to uh, to look okay. at this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the personnel changes too, right? Like there are midfields where it's Kessie it is midfields where it's De young and there's yeah. forward lines. I mean, once the forward line switches up, when Ferran Torres comes off or on, or on and when Ansu Fati comes on, things change. So things are constantly changing. He's got a match as well. Now, one of the players that, again, we kind of have almost pushed to the very end here is Lewandowski. And I think a friend of the podcast, Musa Kongwa, kind of summed it up pretty well that, Barcelona were wasteful, not awful, which I think, again, is where you and I, why we sound like we're being overtly positive about a 2 nothing loss to Bayern Munich in the Champions League was because, like, Lewandowski, I, I know that, again, Bayern fans are kind of chirping now and jumping in there, but looking at his record, too, like, this guy scores goals. That's what he does, everywhere, all the time. And as, as uncharacteristic as it is, I don't think I can be on board to the idea that it's a mindset, that he's now, like, bought in or that he... Picked up the like a snake bite, like the venom of a European knight playing for Barcelona. I don't think there's any truth to that. I think he's a top class striker who missed some goals. Like he he missed his chances, he flooded his lines. And there might have been something about playing his former team. There might have been something about the fans, maybe, right? But I I think we also know that his mental strength is probably greater than, than what that would incorporate into that result. But it winds up just being a weird thing more than. Again, just wasteful, but it winds up being weird that Lewandowski didn't finish any of those chances. It just kind of feels the same thing like in the preseason, where it's like, well, this is not going to last forever. And then it didn't because he scored six goals in nine or sorry, nine goals in six games after that. And so it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Lewandowski, all he does is score goals. So I I can't imagine. if Barcelona plays the same game again at the Spotify Camp No on the second leg of this, if you will, in the group stage, Lewandowski is going to bury him. He might miss again. He could miss it again, too. It's it's football. It happens. Um, I'm, I mean uh yeah you you want
2: him to score in big matches, especially if you want, um, if you want to go far in the in the champions league uh, if, if it so happens that during the next two three seasons he plays extremely well uh, against most teams, but uh, never scores against the top 10 percent, then he would still have probably been a worthy signing, <laughs> but it would but it would suck. Yeah, like that. That would suck. And I've also heard this criticism of him before at Bayern, that uh, he does not score as much against uh, against the biggest teams. For a striker, the biggest reason to worry is if he does not get chances, which is not the case for Lewandowski, uh, or if everything except uh scoring and scoring opportunities uh is terrible as well uh you know how Suarez went through these uh through these spells where for two months he would not um be able to complete a five-yard pass where everything would just bounce off of uh bounce off of his legs and feet uh, like that is more worrying than Lewandowski scoring nine goals in six matches and then missing three scoring opportunities in this one
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's true. Yeah, Barcelona outshot their opponent. They outpossessed a similarly gifted team. They got fouled more. They like they seem to win so many of these metrics that the very difference of this match and that's why somehow Barcelona versus Bayern Munich you and I are stretching for like 40 minutes of content of conversation because it's like it came down to Barcelona not putting the ball in the net. And Bayern Munich did it twice. Now, one of the other things, though, that I think we haven't taken into account is the substitutes. Nagelsmann inserts Greska at halftime for Sabitzer, who, as I said, was like the one midfield that it wasn't really up to the level of what that game was asking for. And Bayern Munich, I think, were on the back foot partially because of that. I thought Pedri and Gabi, as well, did a a great job of kind of almost marking him out of the game when Barcelona were pressing. But Greska comes in. He's just a little bit better of a direct force, if you will. For Bayern Munich, and I think it picked up the intensity a bit as well. And then at that point in the 60th minute, when they're down 2-0, Xavi inserts Frankie de Jong and Ferran Torres. It's Eric Garcia and Ansu Fati later. Did you feel like that game, regardless of the subs that came on, was kind of decided at 2-0? Or do you think that there was a way for... Torres, if Torres wasn't Torres, and we don't need to do the rehash of the big picture Torres thing, but just in this game, right, about where Ferran Torres is going to fit into that game, same thing with De Garcia, and Ansu. Do you think it, not to say mattered that they were entering the, the fray, but do you think there was an instruction or a way that they could have been presented in that game that could have got a different, a different result? And I think, not to answer it for you, but the 63rd minute, if Pedri puts that in, it's obviously an entirely different game, regardless of the sub. No,
2: but I mean, uh, football is made of moments. And uh, those moments uh, influenced the momentum. And when the momentum swings, who knows? So uh, that first goal that Bayern scored uh, swung the momentum completely in their favor. So we were kind of shaking for 10 minutes. And um, the second goal also, also arrived out of that. I think that the game was played at such a high rhythm that eventually everything slowed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can say it was Goretzka. But who's to say that, you know, Goretzka helped Bayern get everything under control because everybody was getting more tired. Like, there Mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of factors there. So, even in the last 20, 25 minutes, yeah, if we score a goal, then everything changes. Uh, Ferran had a chance at a header. I think Ansu had, like, a small moment as well. Or an attempted shot. Uh, we had a free kick. Uh, we didn't have any big chances after uh, after Petri, but neither did they, right? So yeah. uh, you could, um, I,
1: I could almost consider that Ansu when he was dribbling to his right, and then Ferrantores kind of came in that same space, and so it looked like Ferrantores bringing his defender in towards Ansu. He lost the shooting window, but I think either way, that shot was getting blocked. Like there was three Bayern, three red shirts right in front of him, taking up that space. So I, I don't think that shot ever gets off.
2: Okay, no, I thought, uh, I thought he took a shot that, uh, that went over. He tried to curl it
1: mm. into
2: the top corner at some point.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But, yeah, the game was pretty much played. Uh, doesn't mean that it couldn't have happened. But I'm also happy that Bayern did not score a third because the 2-0 can be explained and we can say, well, you know, yeah, they scored. Um, the, the moments went their way, but we competed. If Bayern scores a third then that starts to feel very differently. Mhm. Because as much as I don't look at uh the scoreboard when 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 I uh try to evaluate a match if that scoreboard shows a huge difference from one club to the
1: other, yeah?
2: Then uh animically 3-0 would have been a lot uh, a lot worse to go home with than than 2-0.
1: Yeah. So I think we hit Almost every player, we talked about mindset, we talked about feelings, talked about so much of it. Is there anything we missed? I mean, and if you want to throw any of those ratings or different things you've heard about different players and maybe against conventional wisdom. So I'll give you a second to look that over. But yeah, I mean, just looking at, I, I'm going to, on Friday show, likely going to be looking more about looking ahead, looking about the in, international break and trying to figure all that stuff out about, you know, what we take from this, beyond this match. And if any questions are, uh, have been answered other than, you know, the big picture stuff as this project is still, I, I have to say still kind of in its infancy. There's two months into the season, right. To get, to get a referendum on Barcelona season on September the, what the, the 13th, uh, September 13th to try to have this referendum on Barca season. Cause I, I saw a lot of people, I was in a, a Barca spaces, right. And they were, they were, we had a listener question about, what are my expectations for this season? And it was this weird thing where it's like, that's a fair question to ask. It's a fair question to ask, what are your expectations? But also to ask that question before the Champions League group stage match in Bavaria, right? Not the Spotify Camp No One, but the, the one in Bavaria, where as you said, Barcelona have never got a win. They've never got a, a result against Bayern Munich in Bavaria. Like they've got a draw, yes. But I it, Or if they have got a win, it's one win. I think it's the one you were talking about. It's the uh, or No, no, it was the 1-1 one, one that you were talking about anyway. Either way. So, I, I don't think they've ever got actually a, 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 a victory in Bavaria. Like, it's, it's hard to do. No. Or, we only beat them twi- We only beat them twice.
2: Like, regardless of where. Exactly. So, and, yeah. and, and the two times that we beat them
1: were during our travel years. Right. So, yeah. So, it's like playing regardless of the era or the team or whatever it is. Like, it's really hard to play there in the Champions League. And, and, and that's how it goes. So, it was weird to me thinking about the expectation of this season based on this match because I, I don't think I can do it. I can't, like, try to mm. figure out the big picture of like, what is this match against Bayern Munich? Tell me about the Copa del Rey. Like the argument I, would be, it tells me that they're closer to the Copa del Rey than I thought before the match. And they're closer to the La Liga even before this match. Because again, if they play at that level against almost every other team, they're going to get something. That's how it's going to go. Like they're going to get something. Or not. We'll or see. not. <laughs> um, what, what I think a lot of people
2: have not talked about is that uh, both Dembélé and Rafinha, they were not terrible, but they played below their level. Mm. Dembélé more than Rafinha because Dembélé's level is higher than Rafinha. But Dembélé, like, I don't think we have ever seen him fail so many dribbles. Just time and time and time again, uh, he he tried to dribble past people and they took the ball away from him quite easily. Rafinha played a little bit better, uh, but he, here also, like, already having created more scoring opportunities against Bayern than they created against us with two wingers um who were playing well below their level uh with um with a team who has not learned how to build up play in a way where uh, when we do have possession we can actually create something uh, other than going for for a very quick attack
1: mm-hmm. uh
2: so um, when we look at those teams and, and the room of improvement that we have as a team, makes me feel pretty good about where we are. Um, because where we are right now is already in a place where we can compete with a team like Bayern Munich in their stadium. Uh, and there are still like clear, clear ways in, in which we can improve. So I'll go through the ratings real quick. Again, these ratings are not just mine. They're together with, uh, in this case, Neil Gardner, Kai, and Captain Guardiola. Martin Stegen, 6.1. This is probably due to his distribution, because if not, it would have been lower. Uh, Araujo, 6.8. Christensen, 6.5. Uh, Jules Condé, 6.8. Marcos Alonso, 6.6. Busquets, 7.2. Pedri Gonzalez, 7.6. He was our man of the match uh, at Barca's side. Um, Gavi, 7.4. Lewandowski, 6.3. Uh, Usman 6.5. Uh, Rafinha, 6.1. So those are not my ratings. Those are our combined ratings. And uh, the, the, the subs, Ferran, 6. Anso 6. Frankie, 6.8. And I believe those are the subs that we rated.
1: Yeah, I mean, Eric Garcia had that one little chance there. But defending-wise, as you said, I mean, all he did was close out at 2 nothing when the team was already down 2 nothing. So he, not much for him. He was too. offside. He was offside. on that mall. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so. He was offline. Not to say Eric Garcia really affected that match much, of that. <laughs> his, his, his number is going to go that far. But anyway, so to wrap the show up, if you want to make sure that you see those ratings, yeah, you could follow the other guys. Many of them have been on the show before, but just follow LeVon down in the show notes below. Check through his Twitter, and then you can check out those match ratings after pretty much every match. We are also on Twitter and Instagram, too, at the Barcelona pod. You can join our closed Facebook group patreon all that stuff we also have a game thread in our closed facebook group so you answer the questions i'll let you in and 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 that seems to be the thing especially on match days where if you're feeling a lot of things like that's where the kind of feelings game thread if you will uh then obviously patreon is how we keep making these shows i put these without the ads over there and then we're on youtube of course where i have the five headlines and a lot more content that's the barcelona podcast over there but most importantly thanks so much for listening to the show until next time we'll talk to you soon for the barcelona we should